Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. I did not kill the fruit fly. It lives. It's in here still? Yeah. He visited me for a time. Did he? A I actually put it in the room. It's a psychological experiment yeah. I'm putting on performing at Bruff. Can you hit it on see camera? See, I can if you can, see if you can smack it on the camera. Every hour you I can't added. see it, can you? Is every right hour there? I add another fruit fly into the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with, with like a spoiled banana, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you guys ever see the video of Obama? Pouring through he the vents. the fly out of midair. With chopsticks? No, on his fingers. He just grabbed it. Oh, wait, that's Mr. Miyagi. And during yeah. the interview, he just. No, that was, that was Daniel. I thought Mr. Miyagi. No, Daniel did it, and then he was like, beginner luck. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know what? I don't even know what? Why am I trying to recreate the plot of an 80s movie when I have Jason right here, who, by the way, is going to tell you about the Kintech Studio? <laughs> we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, which is full of fruit flies. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Kintech is fly-free. Yeah, yeah, oh, no, no yeah. they don't have free Pristine, flies. pristine. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you asked the question prior to break, and this comes off the heels of Rick Dollywall's report yesterday on Donnie and Dolly that the Canucks are actively seeking a trade. Who, dear listeners, who do you think is most likely to be traded before the season? Here's the kicker. You have to say why. You can't just throw a name out there. This isn't HF boards or... Oh, the soon-to-be soon to be removed Canucks.com forum. That was oh, so sad about yeah. that. Rest there, in yeah. peace. I yeah. loved that when I was in high school. That was like my go-to. Everybody did. And now nobody cares except for a few people online. Anyway, um, so with he, regards to the trade. So here's Pete from Kamloops. Uh, Hoaglander is the guy that I would pick. And here's why. Number one, he's got some value and he's younger. Two, he's cheap and can fit under many teams' cap. Three, we have some prospects in their 20s like McDonough who can take his place. Uh, That is certainly a possibility, Hoaglander. I feel like it's a last resort possibility, though. I don't think the Canucks want to trade Nils Hoaglander. Yeah, but I don't don't see it. Oh, I do. Because Hoaglander is... um, He's not waivers exempt anymore. So if he doesn't make the team... And he might be forced out due to numbers. He needs to have a role on the team, right? Like, what do you do? He can't just be like, ah, he's a guy that doesn't play on the power play, doesn't play on the PK, he's just out there. He's not going to play at all then. So he has to have a role on the team. So I could see that happening, but I do think they're going to try and move other guys first. That's where I was going with this. Well, yeah, a a lot of people have texted in with the obvious ones, right? Like Tanner Pearson, Connor Garland. Tyler Myers. Now, Tanner Pearson, here's the problem with Tanner Pearson is his health situation is uncertain. He can go out and say, oh, you know, I'm past those injuries. It's fine now. But it was a real mess what he dealt with. Um, Multiple surgeries on his hand or wrist, you know, that, that I'm not exactly sure what it was, but it was. You know, he couldn't play last season. A lot of people wondered if his career was even over or if this was going to end up in a lawsuit with the Vancouver Canucks. It's that bad. Um, He's also an older winger. Again, hasn't played much in the last little bit. And his cap hit is, what, over $3 million? The Canucks would have to add add a sweetener 
to get rid of Tanner Pearson. They're not going to be able to just be like, who wants Tanner? And no one's going to pick, no one's going to be like, oh, we want Tanner Pearson. He would not get claimed off of waivers, right? I so think- now I think it's worth remembering that in October of last season, the Canucks did pull a trade and they sent Jason Dickinson and a second round pick in 2024 to Chicago for Riley Stillman. Now, Stillman did not work out here, and he was eventually traded to Buffalo in February for a young prospect in Josh Bloom. Would the Canucks consider doing another trade where they're adding a sweetener, and in that case, to get rid of Jason Dickinson's contract, they added a 2024 second-round pick? I mean, it seems like the most obvious blueprint out there, does it not? Do they need to do it, though? I think they needed – did they need to do the Dickinson trade? I can't even remember. I know they saved money on it. I mean, it wasn't like we're not going to be able to open the season eligible under the cap, but they wanted the flexibility. Everyone wants- But we've had people on the show, including Thomas Drance, who, who thinks about this more than us. And he said, like, the Canucks can get cap compliant without making a trade. Now, they might have to start the season with only 21 players on the roster. But we've always said you can anyone can get cap compliant. You can do a variety of things that aren't necessarily good for the robustness of your team. Like you said, you can open no, but the he's talking guys- about yeah, but he's talking about not making a trade. There have been situations where you have to make a trade. Like you, you absolutely have to make a trade. Right. So what I'm saying is, is yes, there are sort of different games and tricks that they can play into the cap, but everyone wants to operate with a little bit of cap flexibility. You know why? Because things materialize and happen over the course of an NHL season that you can't predict for. And it's always nice to be a little nimble and a little light on your toes when it comes time to making a decision. So that's why I think it would be better to, you know, have some flexibility into the cap as opposed to, yeah. hey, we're icing 21 of 23 eligible players so that we're $6 under the daily cap limit. What I'll say with this, the Dickinson deal from last year is... It's the blueprint for how a lot... This isn't just a Canucks-specific things. A lot of teams operate like this. And by operate like this, I mean one of two things. One, they wait till the very last minute to orchestrate a deal that they've either had in pocket or know that they needed to make. NHL executives love taking all the time they have available to them. I can count... Um, about a third of the... I remember when we, we used to work at NBC or when we talked to these guys. That refrain came up a lot. Well, if you've got the time... Use the time. So I would not be surprised if this drags out right up until the day before rosters are due to start the regular season or with no games left in the preseason. They're going to have to do something, I would imagine. And it might end up being tacking on a sweetener to Tanner Pearson or Connor Garland or Brock Besser or Anthony Beauvillier where there's a glut of expendable guys. Let's be honest. We've said this for months now that there's way too many goal scoring wingers making you know over market value. In theory, don't you think it would have been easier to trade those guys in the offseason when teams had cap space? I don't know. What's, Even if what they had the to blueprint ask? with Dickinson, they they probably could have made that deal earlier in the summer, but they found the right timing to do it, I guess. I know a lot of the focus has been on Tyler Myers. I can't see that. After his bonus was paid and people were like, "Where is he going?" I'm not sure it's the best time to trade him. First of all, they don't have Ethan Bear like they expected to, expected to, right? They don't have him on the right side of the defense. But more importantly, I think his value is going to be way higher, closer to the deadline when teams have accrued enough cap space to actually take him on. There will be more players, more teams in the conversation for him. The Canucks could retain half of his cap hit. They've already paid his bonus. 
Like you could actually get a, you could get an asset for Tyler Myers right now. I think it would be challenging to find a bunch of teams that could take on his cap hit right now. And if hashtag the start is as important as everyone is making it out to be, including us, do you not need Myers if you're the Canucks? And I mean need. I'm not talking about like he's a luxury. I think you need him in your quote unquote top six on defense. <laughs> Honestly, if the, if the start, no, I'm laughing because you used Adog's top six. Thanks, thanks, Adog. But seriously, it's a top though, four and a bottom pairing. No, it's top t- six. Top six. It's just a better way of saying it. Yeah. When you go, well, around who have they got on the right side right now? It's a little confusing when you're going uh, when you're talking about the right side because in terms of right shots, they've got Heronic, they've got Tyler Myers, and that's it. But you've got guys like Ian Cole who can play the right side and Carson Soucy who can play the right side. So it's a little it's a little confusing. We we don't know what the pairings are gonna be, but I'm kind of with you. Like as badly as Tyler Myers played last season and he did not play well, I think you wanna have as much veteran depth on your blue line as you possibly can. He's also quite a popular guy in the room. The start's going to be important. I, 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 I don't see where you're going. With I this. don't see the timing for a Tyler Myers trade right now. I think the Canucks would be selling themselves short as well if they were to trade him now because I think they wouldn't really... they be selling themselves tall. No. All right. God, I love you. <laughs> so the wingers, the uh, the highly paid wingers, and in some case overpaid wingers like Garland, Besser, or even Beauvillier. I go back to what I said to you a few minutes ago. If they couldn't make those moves in the offseason, I'm not sure how they'd make them now unless you're willing to give up a significant sweetener. Teams don't have cap space. No. And they'd be like, well, take money back. Well, then you're back in the situation you were. Mm -hmm. I do wonder. I wonder a few things here. One, and this isn't a plan. Like hope is not a plan. Is there a commercial about that? Hope is not a plan, but I do wonder if the Canucks are hoping that something's going to materialize, like it often does, over the course of the preseason exhibition campaign. And then you know those teams that finish the preseason and they look at their team and they're like, we stink, or we got a problem, we didn't address it, and it didn't solve itself during training camp. There's always those trades that happen right before the start of the regular season. Now, the question that's looming over all of this is, yeah, but do the Canucks have the pieces that are going to fix anybody's problems? Probably not. Probably not. But maybe a general manager and a desperate general manager talks himself into Garland or Beauvillier. Maybe they've got a goal-scoring problem. Well, maybe they need an extra winger. Maybe one of their top nine wingers got hurt. That's a real, real Hail Mary. And to sit back and hope that that's going to materialize. But that could be a strategy for the Canucks. I don't know. October 7th was when the Dickinson trade went down. So, And then they opened the season like three days later? Yeah, so it was right there, right, mm-hmm. right on the precipice of the regular season. You know, they've obviously had conversations with other teams. Like They've been working the phone lines pretty hard. I mean, that's Rick Dollywell has told us that, and he continues to tell us that. So they might have the beginnings of deals for a number of players with a number of different teams out there. The question is, how do you get it past the finish line? And it, I keep coming back to the sweetener. And would they be willing to add a sweetener? And what would the sweetener be? I got a text Danny and Brookswood text in, who are the Canucks going to trade and why? They're going to trade a sweetener. It's the Canucks way, and it's infinitely exhausting. And then in all caps, don't add a sweetener. 
but it might be the only way they get a deal done. Mm-hmm. Because if you put yourselves in the shoes of the other general manager and say it's Brock Besser, right? You're like, well, first of all, cap space is at a premium in the NHL right now. Besser has two years left on his deal at a cap hit of $6.7 million. First of all, there aren't many teams that can take a Besser right now. They do not have the room. But let's say you are that team that has the room and you're going to acquire Brock Besser and you don't really know what you're going to get. So you've taken up the opportunity cost of the cap space, plus you're taking a pretty big risk on a player who, yeah, he had a great rookie season. He looked good as a younger player, but he's really struggled in a lot of ways, including to stay healthy in the last little while. So why would you do that deal unless you had something else? Like maybe, as a few people have suggested, you trade Besser in the Sweetener's Hoaglander. Do I like that? No. I want to see Hoaglander get a chance. But I also don't like the idea of another second-round pick going out the door. The Canucks actually don't have a second-round pick in 2024 That's because right. that was the trade. That was the one that they traded in the Dickinson trade. They have two fourths, though. Just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I get what I actually am not that opposed to having uh, a pick thrown in as a sweetener with this one. Like if they were to again mortgage the future and get the 2025 second rounder moved. <laughs> Which you could absolutely do. I don't mind it at all. Well, I do. I do because it's the it's the it's like you're bleeding. You continue to bleed draft picks. Yeah, but the, and you're the not getting anything a, except getting rid of a player. Yeah, well, the start frustrating, man. Start, it's frustrating. Let's put it this way: if you're all in on this season and the start being clean and you're not carrying any over any residuals, then I think it's almost a necessary evil. Yeah, you're mortgaging a lot of the future draft capital. Yeah, it sucks that another second-round pick is walking out the door to get rid of another bad contract. But if you're in, you're in. If you're all in, you're all in. And I don't know, I don't know if there's anyone that would take on a Besser or a Garland just to help the Canucks out at this point. Like it's not going to happen, right? Besser to me is the. It's a very difficult sell to any other general manager. Like, what are you? Are you? You're just selling the the bounce back. You're selling that there's still a capable 25, 30 goal winger. When the evidence kind of points to one, that not being a ceiling anymore, and two, he's got to remain healthy to even mm-hmm. have that, that conversation happen. It's got to be a sweetheart deal for that team getting better. So that's a problem. Also, having Besser around in Vancouver to start the season might be a problem because if he doesn't fit, you're kind of looking at, well, we, you know, we're all in on making this thing happen right from the get. Where does he fit into the lineup? Where is he going to be most effective? Is he blocking another player from playing more minutes, playing an elevated role, et cetera, et cetera? So here's a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Maybe the Canucks are waiting to see who makes the team and then they will trade the guy on the outside looking in. They might have a few deals that are they're not signed and sealed, but there are possibilities out there. Fruit fly? Fruit fly. Fruit flies on you. Yeah, it's on yeah. my hand. Yeah, I saw that. Um, so, I don't know. We might have to wait and see on this one. But by the sounds of it, and uh, it's too bad we didn't have Rick Dollywall on the show on Friday. He was feeling a little under the weather. But we will have him this Friday. Uh, it sounds like they're working pretty hard to make cool. a deal. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about Monday Night Football last night. 
um, because there was another big injury to a running back. Uh, Nick Chubb for the Cleveland Browns is out for the season. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that was consistently over 1,000 yards running, all pro running back. Uh, hey, one of the best running backs in the NFL. We also got news uh, yesterday that Saquon Barkley of the New York Giants is going to miss at least three weeks with a sprained ankle. Now, the good news for the Giants is that it isn't the high ankle sprain. It's the regular ankle sprain. So I guess if there is good news, uh, it's only he's only expected to miss three weeks. Now, from the Seahawks' perspective, that's good because the Seahawks are going to play the Giants in week four. So he will miss that game when the Seahawks travel to New York to play the Giants. But I think these injuries are just adding to the case and the proof that it's not worth committing big money to running backs. And even though running backs feel like it's unfair and we were the star athletes growing up and 20 years ago in the NFL, we were the, if you didn't have a running back, if you didn't have a proving running back, you didn't have a team. Well, things have changed. And as much as running backs can sit there and say, oh, it's unfair or like, you know, like I'm good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are good, but you're also going to be more prone to injury the more games you play in the NFL. And if I'm the general manager of an NFL team, I am not committing big money and big term to a running back. Well, I'll go the opposite direction. If I'm a star athlete, I'm seriously considering not playing running back. I'll give you a recap of the Nick Chubb situation from a financial standpoint and future outlook standpoint. Nick Chubb is 27 years old. He's one of the best running backs in football. And as Jason mentioned, he's a former All-Pro. He would have been one of the top five rushers in the NFL in terms of yardage this year had he remained healthy. He turns 28 in December. Here's the other thing about Nick Chubb now. Over the last eight years, he has had two catastrophic injuries to his left knee. The first was in 2015 when he was a college football player at Georgia. He tore his PCL. MCL, and LCL. Did almost all the ligaments. Did all the L's. In his left knee. Eight years later, Nick Chubb had another massive season-ending injury to that same knee. It is now fair to suggest that before he turns 28 years old, Nick Chubb might not play another game for the Cleveland Browns, and he might not play another game in the NFL. That is the running back position sadly summed up is that despite the fact that he's one of the best in the NFL, he is now seen as potentially damaged goods, and he might not play again. And that is the physical toll that the running back position takes on your body. And caustically, that's how the NFL looks at that position, is that you're basically playing it until you get hurt, and then we're going to find another guy to do it until he gets hurt. Do you think that's why the Seahawks just keep drafting running backs? I absolutely think that's why they keep drafting yeah. running backs. Rashad like, Penny, Chris, don't worry, we got a guy behind you. Well, Ken Walker, don't worry, we got a guy behind you. His name is Zach Charbonnet. Well, Sounds like a winery in Northern California. Penny was a great example. I mean, he was the, one of the reasons he was drafted by the Seahawks is because he played, he was so durable for San Diego State, right? Fresno State. Fresno State. Yeah. Um, he was played, played, played a lot. And then he came to the NFL, and as soon as he got there. No, San Diego State. Okay. Say it. Say. I was wrong. And? I don't like giving you the And? Credit. I was right. Um, so he kept on getting injured. 
Chris Carson was one of my favorite Seahawks of the last little while. That guy ran so hard. When he got the ball, you're like, oh, my God, this is going to be fun to watch, right? He would run over the opposition. The problem is, well, fumbles. But also, he couldn't stay healthy. He got hurt. He could not stay healthy. The Seahawks actually make a really good comparison, or sorry, a really good team to draw on for this because they have gone about the running back churn and not to a lot of fanfare or criticism. I know a lot of people are very highly critical of the sort of ruthless nature in which these NFL teams dispose of these guys. I would do the exact same thing. I know. It's so, I know, it's I know, so hard. But it's pretty but... caustic, dude. <laughs> like, it's pretty awful to say. Is that your new word, caustic? Well, for this conversation, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it not? You're basically no, saying it's reality. Welcome to the team. Uh, there's a bunch of other guys in less physically demanding positions that we're going to try and keep around for a long time like the quarterback, mm-hmm. but you're going to be here for maybe three or four years until your body gives out, and then we're going to draft your replacement. Well, you don't tell them that. Well, you, you may as well. <laughs> Everyone knows it's happening. I'm, I'm, I knew that this was on the horizon for this season, given what we talked about all offseason. Mm-hmm. All we talked about in the offseason was the devaluization of the running back position and these guys moving forward. But this is proof that... It should be devalued. But it's also proof that playing the position is almost a detriment now. Did you see Saquon Barkley on the weekend when he got hurt? Is He went over to the sideline, and he knew that his ankle was messed up. So he took his helmet and grabbed the face mask with two hands and slammed it into the ground yeah. as hard as possible. Because it was basically the confirmation of everything that he was worried about. Getting hurt without a contractual future. Mm-hmm. He's in the last year of this deal playing on a pseudo franchise tag. Yeah, he's making a lot of money. He's making a lot of money. But after this year, he's got no guarantees for his future. And you know what the Giants are going to say? Saquon, we love you as a runner, but it's been really hard for you to stay healthy. And the proof is in the last few years where you're always getting hurt. You know, if you ever watch uh, an NFL game up close, you will marvel at the fact they don't get injured on every play. <laughs> you're you're given the ball and they go run into this group of like terrifying gentlemen mm-hmm. and they're all wearing helmets. Yes. Like I don't think some people like because in Canada we don't play football like the Americans do. I don't think everyone appreciates how heavy a football helmet is. Yeah. And how much it would hurt. It's a weapon. It's a weapon, yep. right? You can utilize it as a weapon. So the Rugby World Cup is on, and the boy is asking, like, why why do rugby players not wear pads and football players wear pads? And my answer was, like, and I totally confused him. I was like, I was like, I didn't want to get into, well, in in football, there's blocking. And yeah. It's a little different. In the, and, you, you, you know, in rugby, you have to wrap the player. You can't just hit them back. Um, but my best, my best reason was, like, because in football – the equipment is also the reason why you need equipment, mm-hmm. right? That like, is confusing. Yeah, yeah. Like be, <laughs> because they have helmets, you need helmets. You need helmets to protect against the helmets. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, it's totally true, though. Should right? We get a, should we get a bigger helmet? No. <laughs> a softer helmet? Nah. So imagine you're running back and you carry the ball. What do you carry? Twenty times, sometimes in a game, something like that. Yep. Right. And you're every time you're you know you're gonna run out of bounds. Every time you've got to go into that mosh pit of humanity 
And maybe one of the times your legs are going to get twisted up or one of the times you're going to get a helmet on your forearm or something along those lines. Every time you're going into a massive pileup where you're probably going to be hurt. Or possibly going to be hurt. Uh, this is a really, right? really good text. Just came in here. humanity, by the way. I like that. Yeah, Mosh that's what it is, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Uh, good text here, unsigned, so it must be from Gary. It really makes you appreciate Marshawn Lynch and how tough he ran and how long he lasted. I cannot agree with this text more. It is really, every year that passes, Marshawn becomes more of a human marvel that he was able to do what he did and run the way that he did for as long as he did. And the fact that he's... Upright, and I'm sure he's dealing with a lot of pain on a daily basis. Like sure. it would be impossible not to. But the fact that he's not in, um, like the the sort of like high profile awful situation that we see a lot of ex NFL players. You know, we talk about. Yeah, the, yeah. Well, he's had his struggles though. Yeah, he had, but he like he ran aggressively. He wasn't a Roger Dodger type that avoided contact. Mm-hmm. He often embraced that, and to do what he did for so long. Is a testament to one is his character and his his. Is will he your favorite ability. Seahawk of all time? He is for me. He's yeah. He's highly in the conversation. No, um, like I, not don't Russ? Even, I don't even. Know. No, it's not Russ. No, no, it's not Russ. Uh, I, I mean, did love Russ though. We we did we did love each other at one point. Uh, we it, fell out of love in, in in the pantheon. Like Steve Largent for the longest time because there's the memories of him being the greatest Seahawk for an awfully long time, mm-hmm. right? And then making it to the Hall of Fame and everything else. Uh, I'm not going to lie. This might be controversial. Richard Sherman? I don't know. Like, I know that he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Oh, he was awesome. I, well, I, I just liked the way that he approached it. Like, if you're going to be that brash and that bold, you really do have to back it up on a lot of occasions, and especially at a position where you inherently get burned a lot mm-hmm. as, a, as a defensive back. I just I always really liked him, and that's going to probably make some people say, Halford, you're the worst. And so is Richard Sherman, but that's fine. But Marshawn's in the conversation for sure. He's on a pantheon. The Mount Rushmore, if you will. You know who's my favorite? Brendan Batchelor. Your favorite person? Just person. Okay. No, Batch played for the Seahawks. <laughs> yeah, he was the kicker. Yeah. yeah. And that. the long snapper. <laughs> he kind of looks like a long snapper, doesn't he? First thing that popped into my mind, really. <laughs> Brendan is going to join us next to talk a little Vancouver Canucks and wrap up the Young Stars Tournament from Penticton. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's his friend and bachelor, bachelor, bachelor. Live from Rogers Arena, calling Canucks games. It's his friend and bachelor, bachelor, bachelor. 7.34 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. As the music suggests, Randy Jand is going to join us in a moment. Just kidding. Brendan Batch will join us in a minute here. Uh, to Really the highlight of Hour 2, Batch and that intro. Hour 2 of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. He is calling the Connects games. He was calling the Young Stars games as well. Brendan Batchelor now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Batch? How are you? 
Good. How are you guys? Yeah, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. As always, fresh. Well, first off, were you excited to get back into the groove calling games yet again? Yes, of the Young Stars variety. But Batch was back. How was it calling the games over the weekend and on Monday? Yeah, it was good. It was good to be uh, back in a booth. Obviously, um, you know, the South Okanagan Event Center is a great place to call a game as well. Really nice arena. And the Young Stars Tournament is always, you know, a great way for me to get the season back underway because it's by far the most prep work I do all year. <laughs> right. Because I've never heard of any of the players. So, you know, it, it takes me out of summer batch mode where I don't think about hockey as much and I'm not you know, as engaged with what's happening because I'm not calling the games and it. It's like a, a bucket of cold water on my head of, oh yeah, right. I've got to prep for players and understand what's happening. And, and it sort of is, is a way to get me right back into the season. So it was good. Be honest. Do you ever just make up names? No, oh, you no, should. but, but no one would uh, call you out. If it was like the Oilers prospects or something, you could, you could make up, you could make up a player and give him a backstory and no one would, no one would call you out on it. <laughs> Well, I feel like some of the names are are so complex and you've got to figure out how to pronounce them that they might as well be made up. So it, it's pretty close sometimes. But um, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Who stood out for you among the Canucks prospects? Uh, well, Aiden McDonough, first of all. Uh, in terms of a forward, uh, scored three power play goals, all of them with with pretty clean shots that beat the goaltender. So I think, you know, at a Young Stars tournament, I'm not going to read into that too, too much, but uh, he, he looked like a, like a, a man amongst boys to a certain extent, I think. And, and that's exciting to see because he's a player now that could come into training camp. And, you know, although there is going to be lots of competition on the wings to start uh, the NHL season with the Canucks, if he has a good training camp, uh, likely starts in Abbotsford, has a good start to the season there, maybe plays a big role uh, on the power play and, and on special teams, then I wonder if he could move his way up the list as someone that could get called up uh, early in the season if if they need it. Uh, and then Akito Hirose might have been the best player on the ice for any team at the Young Stars tournament. He had five points more than anyone else uh, and, you know, showed more of what we saw from him in his brief NHL stint last year where he was just so composed with the puck, made the right decision most of the time and was able to contribute offense too, scored a nice goal on a wrist shot from the high slot yesterday and, and had four assists on top of that as the you know as the weekend progressed so um th those are the two names that really stand out to me and you know to maybe a little bit of a lesser extent i thought atu ratu had a pretty good weekend and got better as as the weekend went along and was one of their better players in the win over edmonton yesterday as well which of course is good news because you know there's going to be a lot of focus on him as one of the the big pieces of the bo horvat trade hey batch can you help uh, settle or contribute to a debate that a dog and I am having, um, I think Wolanin has a better chance of making the Canucks opening night roster. A-Dog thinks Hiroshi has a better chance of making the Canucks opening night roster. What do you think? Uh, I think it's Wolanin. Uh, but I will say that it wouldn't surprise me if either of those outcomes happen. But... Uh, you know, Willannon's got more pro experience. Willannon was uh, a scoring dynamo from the back end in the AHL last year. Um, you know, as they come into a season where there's going to be a lot of pressure on them 
early to win games, it wouldn't surprise me if they want to go for more of a veteran presence, someone who's, you know, been there before, shall we say, played for a couple different NHL teams, has excelled at the AHL level, and give Hirose maybe more of a chance to uh, to develop a little bit. Although, I I really liked Akito Hirose in the NHL games last year. I really liked what I saw from him at the Young Stars Classic. So, you know, I do think it's going to be a battle. I don't think it's something that's going to be gifted to one guy or the other. But generally speaking... Uh, just understanding and having seen what NHL head coaches often do in these situations. If it's, you know, kind of a tie between two guys that are battling for a roster spot, they're going to go for the more proven player because, you know, they'll feel they have more trust in what that guy can bring. And we saw what Christian Milan was able to bring when he got his uh, chance to play an extended run with the Canucks late in the season last year as well, which is a guy that can move the puck, um, can contribute in the offense a little bit, although, you know, that was more of a, a, a thing he did at the American League level than at the National Hockey League level. And, you know, he's a bit of a bigger body too. So um, I, I would say Willannon at the moment, but, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it is Hirose at the same time. I'm, I'm just giving Willannon the edge right now, a couple of days before the start of training camp. Batch, do you think waivers could be a factor in the Canucks' decision-making? I mean, in this, in that case, Hirose is waivers-exempt and Willannon's not. Now, I don't know if there's a huge risk that Willannon gets claimed on waivers, but a guy like Nils Hoaglunder... I think there'd be a pretty big risk that he would get claimed on waivers uh, versus a guy like Pod Colson, who is waivers exempt. Um, how do you think waivers might impact some of the Canucks' decisions? Yeah, I think it will. And, uh, you know, not necessarily with this regime, but we've seen it impact their decisions in the past. I believe um, Troy Stetcher was a victim of that in his first year, although they ended up calling him back up pretty quickly. Um, and, and he stuck with the team from there on in. But, you know, whenever you're managing a roster, you have to take that into account as well, that you want to try and, and make sure you don't lose players. Now, that said, though, uh, you know, if Niels Hoaglander is far and away one of the players that needs to be in your top 12 forwards through training camp, I believe they will find a way to make sure that they don't have to expose a guy like that on waivers, whether it is sending Pod Colson down or, you know, if Pod Colson is one of those guys, they'll find a way to make sure that he's on the roster and, you know, maybe you've got to look at a trade. I, you know, I, I tend to think that if they have a player and, you know, with the, the cap situation right now, you know, barring a trade, it does look like they would have to send an NHL salaried player down to the American Hockey League to become cap compliant, um, especially if Pearson doesn't start the season on LTIR, which everything is pointing to he won't because he's been a full participant in in all of their skates leading up to training camp. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they facilitate a trade right before that deadline where they've got to get down to their roster and they've got to mm -hmm. put someone on waivers so that they avoid that. But at the same time, with the flat cap situation, trades are harder to make than than they ever have been in the NHL. I think it's fair to say so. It may not be possible. I, I, that's going to be a fascinating part of this too, and and it absolutely will play a factor in their decision making. But at the same time, you know, I don't think they're just going to send a guy down uh, to the AHL if he's uh, waivers exempt if they think he's one of the best twelve players 
forwards or best six defensemen that can help them win games right away. Because at the end of the day, you know, I know you guys have characterized it hashtag the start, but that's what it is. You've got to win games early. And if you think a guy is going to help you win games early, you've got to find a way to get him in the lineup and you've got to find a way to massage your roster to make sure that happens. What was the chatter about Mikheyev up in Penticton? You know, what we've heard from Rick Dollywall uh, via his agent is that we expect Mikheyev to be at training camp, but we don't expect him to play in any preseason games, which is a little bit odd. Now, there is the possibility, I suppose, that he could start the season on LTIR, giving the Canucks some cap cushion at least to start the season. Was there any chatter on Mikheyev up in Penticton? I haven't heard much about Mikheyev. Uh, the only thing uh, I have noticed is that he was out at the Milford yesterday. So, um, you know, like being out at the unofficial skates at UBC, I hadn't seen him at all. Um, so, you know, obviously everybody's going to be at the, the, the golf tournament. But uh, the fact that he was there, I would assume, is a good sign. And I guess we'll find out when we speak to coaches and management and players later this week what sort of a timeline there might actually be, whether there's a chance he is on the ice with them in Victoria or not, and and what that means in terms of his preseason. Um, you know, as a guy that really, I think it was like the first period of the first preseason game or very early in the preseason anyway last year when he got hurt it you know he was never really able to recover from that so you would have liked it to be a situation where um you know he could have been a full training camp participant and and could get a full preseason in i guess we'll have to wait and see if if that's possible or not um, and and go from there. But uh, I haven't heard anything definitive about whether to expect him on the ice on, on Thursday in Victoria or not as of yet. And I imagine we'll learn more about uh, not just his status, but Pearson's status and, and any other injured players they might have right now heading into camp in the next couple of days here. We're speaking to a Brendan Batchelor here on the Halpin and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Batch, of course, the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks right here. On Sportsnet 650, you mentioned Victoria and training camp batch. We're now two uh, two days and 11 hours away from the start of training camp. And I'm hyping it in this fashion because there is a really interesting dynamic at play here. This is the third training camp in a row that the Canucks will enter with a different head coach. So remember in 2021, it was Travis Green and the infamous bag skate that made Ole Levy pass out in the corner. <laughs> then last year, it was Bruce Boudreaux's first chance at a training camp, and all the talk out of that was, yeah, it's not like Greeners. Don't think we're having a bag skate or any skating testing. And now that's gone, and now we get Rick Tockett's training camp. So I'm curious, have you had any indication, rumblings, anecdotally, anything about what we can expect from a talk at training camp going into Victoria. I'm expecting it to be much closer to a Travis Green training camp than a Bruce Boudreaux training camp. And potentially even more intense than a Travis Green training camp. I guess we're going to have to wait and see exactly what talk it has planned for these guys when they hit the ice on Thursday in Victoria. But because of the emphasis he put on strong summers, because of the emphasis he put on conditioning, I would imagine he wants to test guys and test them very hard in terms of uh, how their summers went, what sort of shape they're in, and what he can expect from guys going into the season. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't know if he'll have the the same bag skate drill that we saw on the first day every year with Travis Green, and we you know we could always read too much into who was falling over in the corner or who was throwing up behind the net or whatever it was. I think it was 
was it Troy Stetcher that Stetcher threw up was like a big two years for, in a yeah. row? Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah. you know, I don't know if it'll be it'll be like that, but you know, I think Rick Tockett has to have an intense training camp with this group for a couple of reasons. One, because of what I just talked about, him preaching the conditioning that they needed to have last year when he came in. And two, the fact that people within the organization, most notably Jim Rutherford, criticized the intensity or lack thereof of Bruce Boudreaux's training camp last year. And uh, with all the pressure on the start and this team needing to be ready to go right out of the gate, uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he really puts them through their paces, especially on the first day on Thursday. And then we'll see how things carry forward after that. So, Batch, at the uh, at the golf tournament yesterday, was it obvious um, that like Quinn Hughes was the captain and that he was the first guy that the media went over to and he was speaking for the team because that's the way it's going to be going forward? Yeah, uh, I was still in Penticton, so I wasn't actually there at the golf tournament. Oh, uh, but but I gather um, that that was the case, and um, you know that's that's part of the job now. And I think you know. A perfect example of of why I think Hughes was the right choice for this is, you know, the thing they did as well uh, a few days ago where they went to West Kelowna and visited with the firefighters and, and gave them a donation. And I thought he acquitted himself really well in that setting. And that gets back to something that I think we've talked about before, which is the fact that being a captain in a Canadian market is more than just being a captain of a hockey team. It's almost like being a, a politician or a, a political figure, like, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the big figures in the province or the premier, maybe the mayor of Vancouver and the captain of the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> and uh, so I think I think Hughes, uh, you know, is is well equipped to do a good job in that role. Uh, the one thing I'm going to be interested to see, and this isn't just specific to Hughes, it, it would be something that I would apply to anyone that takes this role on is, you know, it, it's easy to do it or easier to do it in the off season where, you know, you're, you're maybe there for a, a photo op or, or you're meeting with, you know, people in the community and doing things like that. How do you handle yourself when the team's just lost five games in a row in the middle of November and you're getting all the tough questions and you've got to be the guy that stands in there every night and talks to the media and and fields every query around the hockey club? You know, it's one thing to do it occasionally, but to be the guy that has to do it day in, day out, night in, night out, I think is probably uh, a greater level of of engagement that you have to have than, than maybe Hughes has been asked to do to this point. But... Again, I think he was the right choice for captain. I think he'll um, he'll be the guy that that will do that, and I think he'll do it well. And I would imagine it would have been the same thing yesterday out at, at Northview in terms of uh, him being the guy that the media would be flocking to. Okay, Batch. Um, sometimes we do this. We talk a little soccer with you. We and, do. And here's my question for you: What is going to happen to Harry Maguire? I don't know. And it, it, it's I feel bad for the guy in some senses because it's it's gone so pear-shaped from where you thought it would be when they they acquired him from Leicester. Um but he still goes into the England team albeit when he's scoring <laughs> goals at his own net. Yeah, he scored for um, Scotland unfortunately. Yeah, Gareth Southgate appears to have a lot of trust in him and while I do feel bad for him at some point, this is a little bit self-inflicted as well, because I don't know if you've heard the reports. Manchester United had agreed a fee 
for him to move to West Ham. Yeah. And the reason that it fell apart was because they couldn't get the wages to work. So essentially, uh, West Ham weren't going to be able to pay him as much money as United had been paying him, and they couldn't agree to numbers that could make it work. So Harry Maguire could have given himself an opportunity to go and play first-team football for a Premier League side that is in Europe. Um if he had been willing to take a bit of a pay cut and he decided not to do that. So he'll continue to make the money that he's making, uh, being a very well-compensated player for Manchester United, and he's going to continue to not play. And so as much as in the short term, he might be making more money on his current contract, I wonder what sort of impact that could have on his long-term career as he continues to not be a first-team player for Manchester United, not trusted by Eric Ten and not getting the opportunity to play. And at some point, you would have to think that that means he won't get the opportunity to play for England, whether that happens under Gareth Southgate or the next manager. Eventually, if he's not playing for his club and when you do put him in for the national team, he's making mistakes or or not fitting in in, into the way you want to play and and costing your team goals and points and wins, um, then then at at some point he'll be stapled to the bench or not even in the side for England as well. And uh, if that that happens, then we might be talking about a guy who had such a promising career in front of him that that let it all slip away. And, And, you know, as much as I'm incredibly frustrated by Harry Maguire as both a Man United and an England supporter and and some of the struggles he's gone through, that would be, you know, pretty tragic to see a player that could have been so much more than ultimately he has uh, turned out to be. What do you think of our comparison of Harry Maguire to Dion Phaneuf? Yeah, it's there. Like, I I can (laughs) see it, although I think think Dion Phaneuf kind of turned things around a little bit later in his career and, and became a somewhat relevant player again. But, um, you know, I we all remember how dominant Dion Phaneuf was as a junior player and at the World Juniors, how yeah. much, you know, they would rave about him and uh, thinking that he was going to be an elite defenseman in the NHL. And, you know, he had some good years early in Calgary, but I don't know if he ever really got to that elite level status so yeah there, there's a comparable there for yeah sure. Maguire's probably it. played more big games than Phaneuf ever did in terms of like he keeps on getting relied upon um by Southgate and I just wonder how much longer that's gonna last anyway thanks for uh thanks for taking us down that avenue I'm sure all the people appreciated the England and Manchester United <laughs> talk today that's- well and it's good it's going to be interesting as well because I think not just Harry Maguire, but Gareth Southgate's been criticized lately for a number of his decisions, whether it be putting Jordan Henderson in the team um, after he went to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So I wonder how much more heat Southgate's going to face if he continues to pick guys like Harry Maguire and Jordan Henderson. Batch, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Enjoy training camp, and we will do this again next week. Sounds good. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Manchester United problems are far beyond just Harry Maguire, but we didn't have enough time to get into all of it. They got pumped by Brighton, didn't they? 3-0. Brighton was no, walking. 3-1, wasn't it? They oh, scored at the end. Yeah. Brighton was walking the ball into the net mm. on several occasions. But they're a mess, right? They've got the uh, Greenwood situation, which was resolved by shipping them off to the Spanish League. But... Uh, the Anthony situation with uh, similar claims of domestic abuse. That's two prominent footballers on the club, one who's gone, one who's still embroiled. The Jaden Sancho situation where he can't even get into the, on the sheet, let yeah. alone into a match. 
It's, it's, I'm trying to think of, it's almost like when the Cowboys are awful. If you want to talk about uh, being a, a prominent team that's always in the headlines for all the wrong reasons, that's what United is right now in England. Okay, we got to go to break. When we come back, a returning guest. Yeah, no big deal. John McEnroe, one of the most famous athletes of the last few decades in North America. He's, he's coming back to the Halford and Bruff show. Uh, U.S. tennis legend is co-captaining Team World at the upcoming Labor Cup, which goes this weekend at Rogers Arena. Uh, we will talk to him about coaching a team with his brother, the current state of U.S. tennis, because they do have basically two top 10 players that are going to be participating in this tournament on Team World. I want to ask him about his conversations with the struggling Felix Oje Aliasim, who will also be on that Team World. And we'll talk to John about whatever we want to talk about. Maybe we'll even get into his life as a long-suffering New York Jets fan now that Aaron Rodgers is lost for the season. That's all coming up on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.